Welcome, glad you could join us. Hello, hello. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that are mountain challenged. Glad you could be here. Wants me to insert ads. No, I wish they'd stop doing that. <laughs> You're always trying to find ways to make more money off of us, this YouTube. But you know what? It's a great platform and it takes a lot of money to make it. So I guess it's good. <laughs> Paul Soltero. Dan must be having a hard time putting his pants on. I, I did. I had a hard time, so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave them off. So, you know, business up top, party down below today. <laughs> That's funny. Funny, Paul. Um, alrighty. So, let's start with the shipping report like we do every week, and then we're going to get to this giveaway, which might be the best giveaway we've ever done. It's a, it's a pretty good one. So, shipping report, just printed off. I have it here in my hands. Um, the good news is, for the year, we are at 98.79% success rate. So, 98.79% of the fish that we have shipped out have arrived alive and stayed alive. So, please understand that includes fish that uh, were DOAs, but that also includes fish that shipped didn't ship real well and, and died a few days later or something like that. So it's not just DOAs, it's also what we call DOLs, which is died laters. Um, so we like that number to be less than 1%, but right now it's at 98.79%. And I'm not sure if that's because as we get new people in and, and train new people and stuff, there's just little mistakes that are made as people learn the process, or if it's actually always been that number, and now that we have the software built to track that better, systems, I should say, to track that better, um, that we're just now finding out that it's always been slightly over 1% instead of slightly less than 1%. I'm not sure which of those two scenarios is true. But anyway, close to 1%, just slightly over. Um, this week's issues, where there was a Manakapuru angelfish that, that arrived in rough shape and then a few days later passed away. Um, there was a Kali Kyber, which is an amazing rainbow fish. The Kali Kyber location looks great. And uh, one of those that arrived in rough shape and then a few days later passed away as well. And then one that was, I think on us, was four blood cap tetras that arrived DOA. We looked into it and we realized that we need to ship those in a larger bag. So I think we made a mistake and just shipped those in a bag that was a little too small for them. Um, so we've made that adjustment. So I want to apologize to those customers, especially the Blood Cap Tetra. I think that was on our end. Um, but we've sent replacements to everybody, so hopefully you'll receive your replacements soon. And just so folks know, anytime that we send a replacement, we cover the shipping cost. Or if we, if we process a refund instead of replacing, we refund also the shipping costs. I'm getting, oh, there we go. Finally got the pants on, Paul. The uh, shipping costs associated with the fish that, that passed on. So um, that's the report. It's higher than we want it to be, but percentage-wise, we're shipping a lot more fish now. And so we're gonna have more losses just because it's a percentage, right? As the number grows uh, that are shipped, the percentage might stay about the same, but it'll result in higher numbers. So that is one, two, that's six six issues um, yeah six issues since we last talked and for those that are new and wondering why is he telling us the fish that that died 
Um, we do this every week. It's called the shipping report, and we do it to remain transparent. So I've worked in this industry, the aquarium fish industry, often on my whole life. And every company claims that they do the best, and every company claims that um, they care for the fish, and they ship the fish carefully and with TLC, and they'll, they'll arrive alive guaranteed. Every company says all that. What we want to do is demonstrate in a transparent way where you know we're not lying exactly what we're doing. So you know that, that we're, we're actually doing what we say we do. And the reason you know it's transparent is because I just told you the, the fish that passed on since we last talked a week ago. If I left anyone out, they can at any time chime in in the chat and say, uh-uh, Dan, you forgot to mention my fish. And every now and then I do forget a fish, and they do do that, and that's fine. We, <laughs> we appreciate that. So that's why we do this. It keeps us honest, and we hope it makes it that you guys watching know that we're not just saying this, that this is actually what's happening, that, the, that we do put in the work, and that the fish you get have a, a, a 2.6... 1% of, uh, is that right? I think so, of arriving, uh, uh, yeah, only a two point, <laughs> a one, sorry, a 1.61, is that correct? I shouldn't do math, hang on, 1.31, yeah, yeah, have a, only a 1.31% chance that there'll be a problem. So I was trying to do it with the success rate and then it crossed in my brain. Camera math, I have camera brain. Anyway, um, that's why we do this, for those that are wondering why we do that. And we do it every week, and it's just to keep things transparent. The, the other thing that I found that out recently, which I thought was wrong, <laughs> is I found out that there are several online sellers of aquarium fish that change their feedback. They'll, they'll delete negative feedback comments. Um, just so you know, we would never do that. Uh, we, in fact, we, f we just, after a few years of doing this, re received our first one-star review. <laughs> and it was, I need to reach out to this person. The one-star review had nothing to do with the fish. It had to do with they paid for next day shipping and they didn't get the fish the next day. So I think there was some confusion there, whereas next day shipping is the method that we ship the fish. But it takes us a few days to get the fish ready to ship, right? It's a two-day process at least. So anytime you order, we have to then select the fish. We have to fast them for a day. We have to change the water, seal them up, and send them to you. So that's a two-day process. They need to be um, selected and fasted overnight at least. And then the next day, we can package them up and ship them to you. So I think this customer confused, and I can see why. The term is UPS next day air right that's how we're sending them so they took that to mean that if they ordered them that day they would get them the next day well that didn't happen obviously and so i need to reach out and and uh just let them know <laughs> so we did receive our first negative review uh, a one star review first one other than that we haven't and, and we're keeping it there we're not going to delete it we haven't deleted any reviews all the reviews you say, see are the ones that were put there. And you can know that that's true because anyone that's left a review, go check. If we've deleted your review, call me out. Come in the chat and say, no, -uh, Dan, you, really, you deleted my review. Um, so I just want you to know that we're trying to be the company that walks the walk, not the company that just talks the talk. And 
we're trying to do this in this way so that you can see that it's true, that we aren't, uh, we're not saying one thing and doing another. And this is the best way I can think of to make it so that, that if I was lying, you would know because people would call me out. So that's why we do this. Um, all right. With that, that was the shipping report. We're going to get to the giveaway. This is exciting. Okay. Uh, I, I have a friend named Wes. Wes runs a, a company called Rare Fish. And Wes gets all kinds of amazing fish in. And a while ago, I want to say a year or so ago, I can't remember exactly how long, Wes got this fish in. And this is a fish that I had been looking for for a long time. Wes beat me to it. He brought them in. And so I got serious about trying to find them. This is Microphysogobio tafangensis. It's called the Purple Sailfin Gudgeon. And the reason is obvious. This, look at this. I love this picture. Because they have these nice red-purple um, veins in the fins, and they have a big sail fin. This one, I think, might be starting to color up for breeding. I think these are a, a temperate fish, so they're going to change color with the seasons. I think this is a group that is coloring up and turning their bright purple color probably uh, for the spawning season. And then this right here, this is what the fish looks like when it's colored down. It's still, for a, for a gudgeon, gara type fish, it's still beautiful. It has a nice big sail fin and, and a lot of color in the fins. So this is one that's been on my radar for quite a while that I've been wanting to get a hold of. Um, I think they've only been brought into the United States once before, and that was Wes. Hats off to you, Wes. But they come from China, and Wes speaks the language. He knows the culture. He has connections there. He goes to China all the time. So, you know, it's hard to compete. <laughs> but I was able to get this batch in. And the giveaway today is for one of these extremely rare fish. Um, again, I think that this is, I think this is only the second time they've been brought into the United States. As far as I know, I, I, there could be something I don't know about. Um, if Amazonas did a uh, nice article on them. Here they are on the cover of Amazonas Magazine on September and October of 2021. So just about a year ago, uh, that issue. So that's a good article if you want to read about them. But basically they come from the headwaters of a very large river system in China, but they're up in the headwaters where the water is, you know, nice clear mountain streams, that kind of thing, good flow. So think kind of hill stream loaches, think of the, the kind of water conditions that some of the stiffidon gobies would be in, um, those, those types of fish that like good flow. So from what I've read, they're often on sandy bottoms, and we're keeping ours on sand and they're loving it, but they also can be on rocky bottoms. Just picture a fast flowing like trout stream. Now the temperature on these, I've, I've read conflicting reports. All the reports agree that in the summer it gets warm, uh, up into the 80s in the water. We're keeping ours at about 79 degrees. Uh, they like high oxygen, so there's always risk in an aquarium, if you keep them too warm, um, that you will have a problem because your oxygen saturation in the water will drop. In fish that need high oxygen, it's hard to keep aquariums 
clean enough and with enough flow and, and oxygenation that they, they keep really high oxygen at high temperatures, right? So 79 degrees is where we're at and they're loving it. But I've read they can get up to 85, 86 degrees, the, the waters in their native range. But they're seasonal, it's a temperate climate. So in the winter, that can drop down a lot. And I've read two different reports. Aquarium Glass here said that they get down to about 50 degrees. Now, I don't know if they were saying, like, you know, take them down to 50 degrees, that, that's enough in the aquarium, that's easy, that's safe. Or if they were saying in nature, their habitat falls to that temperature. I, I don't quite know. From what I read, it's hard to tell. But um, in Amazonas Magazine, it said that the, uh, the temperature, the ambient temperature, the air temperature, in that region in the winter gets down to like 35 degrees or so. So these should be able to take quite a, a wide range of temperatures. So keep the water clean, um, keep it well oxygenated and they should do well for you. Uh, you know, I, I think oftentimes we don't need the fancy powerful filtration, the manifold river system or anything like that. Although how cool would that be to have this fish in that? Uh, we're keeping ours with just a sponge filter but it's bubbling like crazy. It's a real high flow sponge filter and they're doing great. And I have not seen them go up and try to get in the current like Hillstream loaches or anything will do. So they seem to be perfectly content in that aquarium, um, not seeking current or anything like that. Feeding is easy. Uh, they eat everything. They're an omnivore. I mean, if it sinks, right? They, they need it to sink so they can get to it. Although they will come up in the midwater and like nab food out of midwater, but they're obviously a bottom feeder, a benthic feeder that scrapes algae and off watch and um, biofilm and stuff off rocks and eats little invertebrates and, you know, mayfly larvae and caddisfly larvae and all that stuff that it finds browsing down in the substrate. But the, ours are eating well on, on uh, Hikari Massivore delight pellets, big protein pellets. We rotate that with algae wafers. We feed them frozen foods, bloodworms, brine shrimp. Um, they, they eat everything, so not hard to feed at all. Big eaters though, big appetite. You gotta keep, especially if you're keeping them at the temperatures we are, 79 degrees, their metabolism's pretty high at that temperature. And so these guys eat a lot of food. Think of like what a gara does. If you've kept panda gara or something like that, they, they eat quite a bit, same, same kind of thing. In fact, these remind me of agara in almost every way except for the coloration. <laughs> they're, they're really pretty. They do, one thing I did want to, sh uh, they do, they're really active. If you think of how gara and gudgeons and, uh, I'm sorry, gara, gudgeons, yeah, and gobies and things like that are, that kind of scoot around, display with each other, uh, clown around, they're, they're that kind of fish. They're not a a fish that just sits there and they perch up on their fins a lot and when they eat they go they grab the food off the bottom and they lift it up really high and gobble it up high they some of it drops down and they do it again really cool behavior they're not a boring fish is what I'm trying to say they get I think they're gonna get ours are around three four inches and I think they're they're pretty well full size they might get a little bigger than that I'm not quite sure they're, they're very new and there's not a whole lot of information about them. So that's the fish. Um, so if you would like to have a chance to win one, and it's just one this time, they're very expensive. So if you'd like a chance to win one, then enter into the chat, hashtag sailfin, 
hashtag S-A-I-L-F-I-N. Caps don't matter, no spaces. No spaces in the letters or between the hashtag and the letters. Hashtag SailFin will get you entered to win these. Um, again, one of the rarest, for me, a true holy grail, one of the fish I've been seeking after for a long time. All right, looks like people have the hashtag. Good deal. Um, now, along with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and I'm going to show you some fish that are, are available that we're just going to list tonight as we look at them. Some new fish that are ready to be released for sale. This is one of them. So um, Johnny is going to be releasing these for sale on the website as we go through them. So Johnny, go ahead. If you would release the Microphysogobio uh, tanfengensis or the Purple Sailfin Gudgeon for sale. The next one that we're finally able to sell again it's been a while, we've been looking for these for a while, is the Burmese Clouded Archerfish. Yes, Bunny Viper, we have them. <laughs> Burmese Clouded Archerfish. This is the best batch I've ever had of these. Always, almost always, not always, almost always before when I brought them in, it's taken me months to get them healthy. Uh, the supply chain, uh, they're not easy to get to when you go to collect them, that's, that's part of why they're expensive. And often they would come in emaciated and it would just take a long time to get the weight back up, get the parasites out, get them fat and sassy again, and then, and then be able to sell them. This batch came in um, in perfect shape. Absolutely great. Good body weight, healthy. I, I don't think we've lost a single one. I think it's a true statement that none of these have died or been struggling at all. Same with the uh, Microphysogobio uh, the purple sailfin gudgeon. On the purple sailfin gudgeon, there's like two that are, there's a couple that are a little slender and I'm not going to sell. Uh, they just need to get a little more weight, but but that's it out of the whole group that we have. All the rest are fat and sassy. Anyway, these clouded archers came in delightful shape. Uh, they're around two, two and a half inches. The biggest one, including the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail, might be pushing three inches. So they're not huge, but actually that's a good thing. They ship really well at this size. They're small enough that they can withstand shipping without any problem. They eat everything as long as it floats. Uh, we feed a lot of Viberbites. We also feed Hikari krill flakes. Uh, we feed spirulina flakes to get some veggies in there. And why would you do that? They're a predator. Well, yeah, but when they eat the cricket or whatever they just shot out of the tree, um, that thing was eating vegetables, so the way the predator fish get their vegetable content is from the guts, the stomach of their prey. So they still need vegetable content in their diet. So we do rotate in some spirulina flake. Um, they absolutely would go nuts for crickets or fruit flies, things like that. Anyway, great group doing fantastic. So Johnny, if you haven't already, feel free to go ahead and list those for sale. And I know a lot of you have been asking me for these for a long time. Let me explain why I haven't brought them in for quite a long time. I'm really picky about these because of my past experience of them not coming in good shape. I, so I, the suppliers I tried before, I wasn't confident in. No one had done a great job. Um, so recently I found a new supplier that had them. So I thought, okay, we'll try them. Maybe they'll do a good job. Well, we tried them and they did a great job. So now, um, hopefully, now that we know that, 
next time the supplier has some, we'll be able to bring some more in. And it won't be like, I don't know, what has it been, a year, maybe even two years, uh, something like that since we last brought them in, just because we try really hard not to bring fish in from suppliers who don't treat them right. We try really hard to only bring fish in from suppliers that do their very best possible to make sure the fish are treated humanely and, and get, you know, <laughs> it's just the right thing to do. So, so that's why it took so long, but these guys did a good job and the, the fish, honestly, I, I was so excited when we opened the box and I saw the condition they were in, I was just so relieved. Um, the next one, is one that I know folks have been waiting on. This is the L174 Pleco, the Ocelot Pleco. This is one of the smallest hypensistress out there. This, along with the L471, the mini snowball, is the smallest hypensistress. And the only Pleco that I know of that's smaller is the that miniature Ranger Pleco species. So these guys are going to get, I, I think, two, two and a half inches is where they top out. Really small hypensistress very hard to find and the reason is they come from uh, as far as I know just a very limited range a very small part of a river and where they're at the river is very deep and the current is is strong so it's hard to dive down and get to them because the current's so strong and you'd have to dive so deep to get to them so they're almost never brought in the only way to to get them is to find a breeder, and there, there aren't many of them, who have some excess uh, stock and be able to buy them. And luckily, I've been able to connect with a really good breeder, and this is my third or fourth uh, group that I've purchased from this person. They do a good job. Even so, they're a small fish, and the ones they shipped were quite small. So we've had these for, let's see here, six weeks? more? I don't know. Uh, between one and two months. Uh, I, I think six to eight weeks at least. And this is the first time we're listing them for sale just because they came in small. And it took us a long time to train them to eat pellets. We, they just wanted to eat bloodworms and frozen foods and, you know, yummy snacks. They wanted to eat Snickers bars. And we wanted them to start eating their, their, uh, <laughs> their chicken breasts and vegetables before we sent them off so that they would be easier for you to take care of. I'm happy to say that for a while now they've been eating uh, sinking pellets really well and they've also put on quite a bit of size so they're ready to sell. So those that have been waiting for the ocelots, Johnny go ahead and list them. Moanatani Kalitawa, um, we have more of these listed for sale. Um, we had, most of them did great for everybody but there were a couple issues with shipment and we, we think we found the problem well we don't know exactly but what we've decided to do is send them in a bigger bag so these will be shipped in a larger bag and I think that it's not like we had tons of problems I think there were two shipments that had uh, any kind of significant uh, problems with them and uh, we couldn't figure out exactly why but we thought we'll send them in a larger bag because a, they have more space that way, it'll just be better for them, and B, in a larger bag, uh, you have more water volume, so you have better temperature control. So as it's, as it's warm right now, it takes a lot more 
heat to raise the water temperature up if, the, if there's more water in the back. So I think that that will help. So that's what we'll try. So for anyone that did have issues, um, sorry about that again. I'm sure you've all been taken care of, but uh, we think we're going to try that and hopefully that'll take the issues down. Now, I don't want to give the impression that there were tons of losses. We, I think, I think we had 300 of these and a few losses. So it's a small percentage, but I do want to uh, say that we're trying to prevent even those small losses. I got angle-hearted. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you so much. Oh, it would be good if I started showing those. These are the Kalitawa. For those that don't know this fish, um, this is uh, a small fish. It only gets two, two and a half inches. So it's one of the miniature rainbow fish. And it's just stunning. It's one of the most exciting new rainbow fish to come to be found discovered in the last few years so uh, excited about that one alexander i just want to say thank you thank you so much for your continued support we um five star rating bribe fund <laughs> alexander we are looking into getting uh the ability to gift memberships we submitted for that and i don't know if we've heard back or if it's been activated youtube's end had to approve something um, I'm not sure if that's happened yet or not. Uh, Random Arms can tell me here in a minute, but uh, we're working on it. So if it's not available today, hopefully it'll be available for next week. Um, all right, Kelly Foreman, thank you so much for the super chat as well. The new pygmy corridors could not be cuter. Thanks, all. Oh, I'm glad you like them, and thanks, thanks so much for the orders. We appreciate it. Curl Kitty 08. Oh, we can give memberships. Curl Kitty gifted five Dance Fish memberships, so it must be live. Um, Random Arms, could you just check and, and let me know? I think it must be live. That's awesome. Okay, back to the fish that we... It's good? Okay, cool. Random Arms just confirmed that gifting memberships is now active, so thank you, Curl Kitty. And Alexander, your request has been granted. <laughs> Have at it, my friend. <laughs> um... We're going to uh, list some redhead tapahos as well. And the reason I wanted to do this is the ones we have are small, uh, quite small. Well, they're not tiny. They're, I don't know, one to maybe two inches, somewhere in that range. But they don't have the color yet. And so I, I'm going to release a video tomorrow. The members already got it, but the general audience will be able to see it tomorrow where we show the group. And I just wanted to show you what they'll turn into. They're an absolutely stunning, beautiful geophagus. And if you're a beginner with geophagus, this is one I would suggest. It's just as pretty as the really expensive ones, but this one is not expensive. So you can get your beak wet into geophagus without breaking the bank, right? You can try something that's not quite as expensive. Make sure you understand it, get to know the fish and their needs before you spend the money on the, the really expensive ones. So that is... Uh, Let's see here. I think that's it. Yeah. So those are the, the only ones I'm featuring today. We released a bunch more for sale earlier. Um, I didn't want to take, you know, an hour and a half just talking about fish we have for sale. I feel like that gets a little too salesman-y, <laughs> a little too buy my stuffy, um, but um, half an hour is enough, right? So anyway, that's what we have. Let me close these out and we'll get to the chat here in just one moment. Alrighty, let's see how we're doing. See, we have 190 folks here. No, we don't. That was a long time ago. We have 246 folks here. Thanks for being here, everybody. 
really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to reach out to all your ex-lovers and invite them in, we could grow the chat and, uh, and have some drama. <laughs> Gotta wet my whistle. Okay. I want to start here by thanking my moderators for being here and doing what they do every week. I just thank you so much for being here and volunteering your time. I hope that when I say that, it never sounds trite or uh, like, you know, I say it every week just, I think. So hopefully you understand I mean it just as much today as I meant it all the other times I've said it. Uh, thanks for being here and sticking with us. Really appreciate you. With that... Let's get to the chat. So I'm going to respond to questions and comments now. For those that might be new, if you see, let me show you my chat. Okay. This is my chat. See this bright orange box and this one down here and all the other ones that show up as I scroll through? Well, it's impossible for me to read every comment um, because most of the comments are just you guys chatting amongst yourselves, right? So it would be really boring television, as I like to call it, if I read every comment looking for one that I should respond to. In order to not have that dead time, I only respond to the ones that are bright orange. Because then I can keep things flowing. So, to make your question or comment bright orange, if you want me to see it and respond to it, if you type hashtag Dan's Fish, um, and select, or it looks, I think hashtag, I think at symbol dance fish, and I think also maybe if you just type dance fish, it'll happen. Uh, but when you start typing it, you'll see an option pop up. Click the dance fish option. That makes it bright orange. That's how we manage the chat without having a lot of dead time. Oops, I just grabbed the wrong thing. Okay, here we go. I'm scrolling up to see. The last one I can read is Random Arms. Dan will pretty much only see comments that are tagged with Dance Fish or at Dance Fish. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> read my mind. <laughs> John Snow Radio. Do the ocelots need to be over 80 degrees? Um, I think that they can be... Okay. Here's the typical wisdom with Hypensistress that you want to keep them uh, 82, 84, 86, somewhere around there, right? Um, but I think that they can go low 80s, high 70s without any problem if they're healthy and things. There's a lot of seasonal changes in the Rio Jingu. It's not 84 degrees year round, right? Uh, there are times when the, the water temperature gets colder. So they do have some temperature tolerance. But to be safe, I don't think it would hurt at all if you kept these guys at 84, 86 degrees. I wouldn't keep many colder than uh, 79, 80 degrees for sure. <laughs> Paul Soltero, Dan likes to be distracted, so add at Dan's fish to your comments and questions, questions and comments. <laughs> Touche, Paul. <laughs> Alexander, thanks again for the generous super chat. Really appreciate you. Kelly as well. Curl Kitty, and now here we are. Xanadu. My six Kalitawas are doing awesome, as are all my dance fish. Fish. All my dance fish fish. Thanks, Xanadu. That's, that's typically what happens. I mean, there is 1%, 1 
you know, two nine. I guess that's what it is. One point two nine percent that uh, that are going to have issues. So eventually, everyone's going to like the the stats statistically. Eventually, everyone's going to have a problem, but it'll be few and far between for sure. Hopefully, you can go years before you have your first one, Xanadu do. But thank you. I'm glad to hear that all the fish we sent are doing well, including the Kalitawa. Um, and yet, there, there were a few, uh, I think, two issues with Kalitawa, but more than we wanted, so we made some changes. Often snipe. Speaking of gudgeons, do you think they would do well in a 55 gallon with rainbows and two female apistos? If a male is introduced, would it be a problem? Yeah, I think that they would do fine with those. I don't see a problem with that. The, the only issue would be uh, making sure that the gudgeons get enough food, but they're not like a pleco that the food has to hit the bottom and then they, then they can get to it. Um, they will, like if I put bloodworms in the tank, they'll swim up to the middle of the water and grab bloodworms. But I think it's more natural for them to eat off the bottom. So. With rainbows, you'd want to make sure that, you know, get the rainbows feeding in this corner and then drop some sinking food on the other side so the gudgeon can get to it, something like that. But even if you didn't do that, they're feisty enough and uh, and quick enough to get to the food that I, I still think that they would be okay. Looks like Night Owl Arium, I want to say Atrium, Arium has been gifted a membership. Thank you, Curl Kitty, for doing that. And welcome Night Owl and Nathan is that Hovey or Hovey? I'm going to go with Hovey. John Snow Radio cannot wait for our geos tomorrow. Oh, yeah. If you got the red uh, head Tapahos, um, the ones we sent you were the larger ones, and they already have some color. They even have some of the striations in the tail. They're getting some red. Um, yeah, you can start seeing the potential. Buddy Viper got my archers. Awesome. Yep, we did. <laughs> I've been thinking of Bunny Viper every time I look at the lists um, trying to find archers for the last year or so because I know that Bunny Viper's been wanting them for a long time. John Snow Radio, you're a friendly fishmonger. Never be ashamed to show your wares. Oh, yeah, I know. But, I mean, it would it could get old if that's all that ever happens, right? We want time to discuss and chat, So, but I appreciate that. Vivian Goodwin, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thanks for becoming a member. Really appreciate it. It helps us, and uh, we hope to have a really cool benefit for you guys as soon as we can get the API from uh, YouTube and get it built. ATI Aquatics is a super red bichinose pleco safe to put in a 20-gallon along with chili rasboras and pygmy corridors. I think so. Yeah. I, I, I'd be very surprised if the pleco could predate on those. I suppose once in a blue moon um, a fish could get caught somewhere and then the pleco could chow down on it but i've kept both those species with bushy nose plecos long term without any issues that i'm aware of anyway if one got snuck in the night i never knew it all right larissa mooth i received my l519 pleco last week yes and he's acting fat and sassy and happy in my tank. Very pleased. Hope he works out for me in the long term. He should, Larissa. Those things are doing great. Let me show these to people. For those that don't know this fish, let's go on a field trip, shall we? Um, this is the L519 Ancestris. These guys are amazing. And these are one that are hard to find as well. So these are... 
kind of like a Wabenmuster, but they, they have the, kind of that honeycomb type pattern on them, but they also gesture towards an orange color. And I'm assuming that as they mature, they're gonna get more and more orange. I don't know for sure, this is my first time with them, but check out that pattern on them. They're just such a neat, neat fish. They're also called the Keifner. I'm glad to hear that yours are doing well. We're really enjoying ours too. I like that fish a ton. And, and please, guys, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of folks saying, "Hey, my stuff's doing well," which is awesome to hear. But please never hesitate if you have a problem, and you're like, "How do I fix this?" Or if we send you something and it's not doing well or whatever we don't we can talk about that in the chat too it's we're all transparent here so don't feel like you're limited on what you can say um, and if you're not comfortable doing that you know send us an email hello at dancefish.com anytime you have a problem please let us know and uh, if we send you something and there's an issue we will take care of it orange cones you could read all the comments if you just stopped hosting yeah i mean i could but a lot of it's like so-and-so talking to so-and-so. Hey, how are you? Um, how's the weather over there? Did you start your new job yet? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Southeast Michigan Citizens was gifted a membership by Curl Kitty. Curl Kitty, thanks again. Samuel Joseph Fernald. Can you give some remarks on the Stiffidon species black line sand, sand goby? You have listed, bought three in case they're a newly imported species. Um, they act just like a common stiffidon. So they act just like, say, a neon blue goby or or or, or, an, or, or anything like that. So they're, they seem to be hardy. We haven't had problems with them. They eat wafers and stuff just fine. They're a grazer. I don't know much more than that. I'm not sure what species they are. So I'm not sure what to list them as, really. Um, Blackline sand goby is what the supplier was calling them, so it's what I went with, but I don't know what they are. So, Samuel, if you get them and know what they are, if you would please send me an email and let me know, I would, I would love to be able to say more than a generic common name. But that's, that's all I really know. I can't, can't tell what they are. Big shrimpin'. Will ram horn, ram's horn snails eat fish eggs? I mean, I would assume that they would if they could get their mouth on some, but I've bred and raised lots of baby fish in tanks that had lots of snails in them, including ram's horn snails. So they might get some sometimes, but I, I'm not sure that it's gonna be enough to really impact things. Now that being said, a lot of the fish that I was breeding were things like killifish, which would go into a mop and, and lay their eggs in the mop. So snails might have a hard time getting inside and getting in all those strands to find the eggs or fish that would bury the eggs in sand or peat moss or whatever um so but but i've raised lots of other fish too lots of uh angel fish i've raised quarries in tanks with sand yeah I, i'm sure they'll eat some eggs but i don't think it's enough to worry often sniped <laughs> Sounds like it must be frustrating in your life if you're a gamer. <laughs> Often sniped. Headshot. 
Speaking of gudgeons, do you think they would do well in a 55-gallon? Oh, already got that one. Oh, hey, Elmonger. Hey, Al. Good to see you. What's the best filtration for a 265-gallon freshwater tank? Planted and community tank, FS6 canister or sump. If a sump over the side sump or drilled tank, why so? Sir Johnny is the best. Yeah, Johnny's doing a great job with customer service. We're, we're very happy to have Johnny on the team. Okay. So I think either one of those would be fine, an FX6 or a sump. I think the key is going to be, what I found in my 125-gallon, like, like larger tanks, the key is to have flow going across the bottom of the tank to kick the stuff up off the bottom into wherever uh, it, the bulkhead is. So if you have water flowing in on one side of the tank and then flowing out of the other side, usually that happens up top, right? Because otherwise you have to have standpipes and all that stuff. But um, So what I found is I put a power head down low to shoot across the bottom and then when if you have quarries in the tank or something like that, horse face loaches that stir up the substrate and get all the gunk out of it, then as they do that, all that gunk is kicked up by that uh, power filter blowing current across the bottom. It blows it across and kicks it up when it hits the other side and goes out that bulkhead. And um, I have an FX5 that was running that 125 gallon tank and has been for 15 years. Never had a problem with it. Well, I guess some rubber seals wore out once and I had to replace those. Uh, just standard O-rings from Home Depot did the trick if I remember right. Um, so that worked for me. A sump is good too. I, I think they're both good. I think they both have their pros and cons. But the, what I would say is uh, I would drill the tank personally. Now, maybe, yeah, 265, if you cracked that sucker, <laughs> <laughs> that would be rough, but I like drilling my tanks because then I don't have to have pipes coming out and all that, and I can have a tight-fitting lid, and I can keep things like wild-type bettas and killifish and uh, all the other fish that like to jump, right? So I like to have a nice tight lid. So I don't like pipes sticking out. I'd prefer to have it drilled. So those are my thoughts. I, I, I think either one of those filters would be fine. Drilling would be good, and the big... The big hint, the thing I've discovered is that that current across the bottom really helps keep things clean, especially when you have bottom-dwelling fish that will uh, help stir up things and keep stuff, uh, get it up to where it can be removed from the tank. Yeah. All right. Several other people have been gifted memberships. Wow. Everyone, thanks for gifting these memberships. This is amazing. So many people coming on board. I've missed several of them. Monster Fish Gal, welcome. Southeast Michigan Citizen, welcome. Um, I'm probably going to miss some of them just because, but thanks Xanadudu and um, did I see Kelly Foreman had given some away as well? Thanks folks. I'm feeling the love. I am. Makes me want to sing a Lion King song. I'll spare you. <laughs> yeah, you all thought it was going to happen, I know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Chastity Ketchum, peacock gudgeons are hilarious. Yes. Is one okay as a centerpiece fish? Seems happy. Yeah, I think with peacock gudgeons, you could go either with one or a decent-sized group. I would not do two. I probably wouldn't do three. 
Um, but I would do one or several. Now you could do two, you could do three if you had a whole lot of hardscape in there and rock work and all that stuff, line of sight blocks, all, that could be fine. But um, if you only have two males and, and you don't have all that, then I think there's a, a good chance one male could get picked on. PFC Magic. Do you sell, I thought I said stamps, shrimps, neocaridina, etc. We, we have only two shrimp. Um, they're both neocaridinas, a cherry shrimp type. One are the red cherry shrimps and one are the blue dream shrimps. Um, shall we take a quick, a quick field trip to our website? So for those that are new and don't know, our website is dancefish.com. If you go up here and search shrimp, you will find our two shrimp, blue dream shrimp and red cherry shrimp. And by the way, I don't think we've had any complaints about these. I don't think we've lost any of shipment. And we're careful to, to uh, routinely cool, cull, C-U-L-L, the herd. So we maintain this nice blue in the blues and this nice red in the reds. Now, males are always a little less colorful than females. Just keep that in mind. But I, I think we do a pretty good job of keeping the strain strong. And these blue dreams came from... Um, from Rick May, uh, a hobbyist breeder, and he brought us amazing ones, and they've been kept, I think, pretty good. And the way we call, by the way, is usually what we'll do is once we start seeing a few clear shrimp show up, we'll, we'll start removing them. And if that continues, then we'll select a couple dozen of the, the best colored ones, move them into a new tank, um, and start a new colony. And that's how we kind of keep the, the colors going seems to be working well for us. Now, I would not say I'm a shrimp expert by any means, but I know how to keep them alive, I know how to keep the strains strong, and, uh, and they seem to ship well for us. Jennifer Weaver, a group feeding frenzy of Coletti Tetras is quite colorful. Yes! I'm so glad to hear that you've experienced that. The Coletti Tetra is one of the prettiest, never-seen Tetras out there. Um, glad you like them, Jennifer Weaver. And I agree, that bright metallic, beautiful coloration with that red tail, really like them. <laughs> Glad you got to see that. Aqua balls, I don't know, just deserved a little sing. If the rainbow fish came a bit wide on lips, what's the best thing to do for them? Okay, so this happens frequently with rainbow fish. Um, it always does, it always has. Even the most expert experts of rainbow fish, it happens to them. So if you go to like Rainbow Fish Live, or talk to rainbow fish hobbyists. It's, it, this is just something that happens with rainbows. Probably because they're so energetic that they swim against the side of the shipping bag and kind of rub on their lip and, and make it a little raw. The best thing I've found is just clean water. Um, I, I wouldn't say you have to jump to any treatments or anything. Keep the water clean, meaning do enough water changes so you don't have ammonia buildup or high nitrogenous waste, things like that. Um, I would make sure I don't have a whole bunch of organic decay happening. I wouldn't have like piles of fish poop decomposing or plants dying or anything like that because, or if you have gravel and detritus and things can get down there and fester, or if you have a sponge filter and you haven't cleaned it in a while, because all those places where that organic uh, matter collects those become sites where they decompose and they decompose by being eaten by bacteria and protozoans and things like that. 
these bacteria and protozoan are great. They, they keep the, they're the garbage disposals of the system. They're great. But if you have a lot of organic de decomposing matter in there and their populations get high enough, then it's possible they could infect uh, a little injury or a break in the skin like rubbed lips on a, on a rainbow fish. So I would keep that water clean and that's usually all you need, clean water and some time. So if that doesn't do it for you, aqua balls, if they start looking a lot worse or if they're not better in a couple weeks or obviously getting better in a couple weeks, and it does take time, then uh, please feel free to send us an email, hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. And we can walk you through salt and, and other things. But almost always clean water and time does the trick. David Merrill. Hi, Dan. Just wanted to let you know that the yellow acara is only eating bloodworms even if I try to mix flakes or pellets. Still only eating bloodworms. You got a tricky one, David. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear he's eating. Sorry to hear it's only bloodworms. And I can't for the life of me figure out why that would be. Uh, my experience, the yellow acara just are ravenous for any food at all. Flakes, pellets, everything. I'm out of ideas, except for more time. I know we talked about it a little bit in the stream last week. If anyone here has had this issue where a yellow acara or similar fish um, went off food, decided to go on a hunger strike for a couple weeks or a few weeks, then started eating again, but would only eat bloodworms and it was hard to transition back to prepared foods. Um, would you chime in? Did you have any luck getting them back to flakes and pellets and such? And if so, how? Let's see if we can help David out because I, I don't have a clue. Chad Titan, do you do any heated outdoor tubs? I don't. I don't have any outdoor tubs right now. I've just got so much going on in here. This is a new facility. Uh, it's it's we're still moving in. Honestly, like all the tanks are up and running, but we haven't got our office like our, our desks put where they're supposed to be yet. We don't have the full. Here's our workspace right now. Oh, it's behind that. You can't really see. Sorry. Anyway, we just have a couple like folding, quick folding like picnic plastic tables for our workspace right now for packing fish and things. There's. There's a lot more moving in that that we're working on now that we're kind of up and running um, and have more help. We, we've hired a couple more employees over the last two weeks. So uh, we're able to get some projects that for a long time it was all we could do to care for the fish, pack the fish, ship the fish, um, and make sure we still had more fish coming in so we didn't run out. So just that has kept us here many long days, many long hours, <laughs> week after week after week. Um, so now that we have a couple new employees to help out, we're able to soon, once they're trained up and, and feel comfortable with how we do things, uh, we should be able to finish some of these other projects. Um, so it, in here, I've just been swamped. But I don't think I'm gonna do any outdoor tubs, uh, at least this year. Um, I do have this idea tickling the back of my mind that it would be cool to put um, large like 300 gallon tubs out along the back wall we have 100 feet of back wall we could do it on uh, plumb them through the wall so they had good continual flow and all that but um, that's just a little idea in my head and 
I don't think it'll ever happen, honestly. I don't think the location for it out there is, is right. But So probably no outdoor tubs for the foreseeable future. But I do like them. I've done them a lot over the years. Um, I, like, I like patio ponds. I like summer tubbing. Blake Howden, my blue ender guppy fry. Oh, and if you want to know about outdoor heated tubs, check out LRB Aquatics. Lucas Bretz uh, has done those for years. Winter long, heated. Uh, there's a lot of videos on them that he has on his channel. Blake Howden, my blue ender guppy fry have just grown up to two centimeters and have colored up. They're good to ship or hold off another month. Two centimeters? Uh, what's that? Uh, 0.79 inches? Something like that? Let's see here. Two cm two inches. 0 0.789 or 0.787. Yeah, so 0.79. Dude! <laughs> what can I say? When you're good, you're good. The reason I know that is I'm constantly changing centimeters to inches. Um, as I'm going over exporters' lists because uh, they list everything in centimeters. So, so yeah, I think that uh, I think that at that size, three quarters of an inch or so, you could probably ship them without a problem. Yeah, I think that sounds good. Mister Guy, why? Why not? Tips on breeding Madaka rice fish. Oh. Good news, super easy. Okay, get yourself an aquarium. Uh, call it a 10 gallon aquarium. Get yourself a sponge filter. Get yourself a spawning mop. Hang the spawning mop so that it uh, floats to the surface and goes down just to the bottom, maybe a quarter inch or so off the bottom. Put in your ice fish, feed them really well for a while and pretty soon the females should have uh, egg clusters, grape clusters is what I call them, hanging from their vents, and they will generally deposit those in that spawning mop. So then you can remove the eggs and, and hatch them. So that's one way to do it. That way you can control the process and get a, you know collect a lot of eggs. Another way to do it is just get yourself a nice planted scaped aquarium you know, as pretty as you want it to be, lots of plants and stuff. Sponge filters are good because they don't suck up fry, so I still suggest a sponge filter. Put your rice fish in there. Feed them. I'm, I'm imagining this is like a, a mature seasoned aquarium that's been running for a long time and is stable and has a bunch of like little bits of algae and little bits of uh, that whole ecosystem going already. Okay. Put them in there. Leave them until you see them spawn a few times and then once the females have shook their eggs off a few times, uh, take them out, like spawning for a week or two, then I would take them out and I'd just wait for the baby fish to appear and then I'd start feeding them. Baby brine shrimp is a great food for uh, newly hatched Madaka rice fish and they can eat baby brine shrimp from the beginning, which makes it really easy. So um, I find rice fish is easy to breed as live bearers with the exception of there's an egg stage, but they, they haven't been any trouble for me. Now, sometimes it takes them a few weeks, they need to settle in and all that, but often I'll get a shipment of rice fish in and the next day the females have eggs. So um, I think they're a, a great fish to try breeding because I think you'll probably have success. 
Now, Mr. Guy, why, if there's a specific thing you're having trouble with, if you're like, well, actually, I've been trying for 10 years and I still can't get them to breed, um, if you can narrow it down to like a specific aspect that, that you have an issue with, then I might be able to help you out. But what I'm imagining the question is, is, yeah, I've seen these rice fish. I'm kind of intrigued. I've never kept them before. How would you breed them? So, Bunny Viper, most of my fish are from Dan's, all thriving, healthy and beautiful. Just ordered more. We'll always order more. Never fear ordering from Dan's. They are perfect. Aww, Bunny Viper. You just made my day. Thank you so much. I'm going to share that with the team. You're going to make the team's day tomorrow during our morning meeting. Big Shrimpin', will ram's horn snails eat fish eggs? Already got that one. Carmo's Creations. I purchased 15 rainbow shiners from you in the spring. To my surprise, none of them have colored up yet, even with the warmer temps of summer. Any tips are greatly appreciated. They might need to go through a winter. Um, often native fish need to get down below 65 degrees, down to about 60 degrees or so. And then when the uh, temperature heats up to 65 and above, roughly, they'll, they'll start firing off. Or, let's you got them in the spring. So they're old enough probably. I suppose there's always a chance that you only got females, in which case they're not going to color up nearly as much. So I'd be surprised, but there's a chance that could have happened, especially if they were uh, small enough that we couldn't see any males when we sent them. Now, if you got 15, the chance of that, if they were too small to sex, is not huge, right? That's a very small chance, but it could happen. It, it, things like that have happened before. Ryan Hoke, or is it Hoke? I don't know. Hoke, that's more fun. <laughs> it's probably Hoke. Thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. How can I clear up my tank water? AccuClear failed. Depends on the problem. Um, almost always the answer is time, and probably more time than you want. But it takes time for a, a tank to really settle in and balance and, and clear any you know white cloudy water or green water. Um, if it's white cloudy water and you're experienced with tanks and maintenance and, and you change your water on a normal schedule and know the appropriate amounts to feed and all that, then I would just wait. And it'll almost always clear up. If it's green water, then you're probably gonna have to black the tank out for it to uh, become clear. So put like a blanket on top of it or over it, you know, cover it so there's no light getting in for a week or two and, and see how you're looking after that. Now, why are you getting the cloudy water in the first place? A couple things, it could be a brand new tank, in which case you're gonna get cloudy water, especially if we rushed into putting fish and things in there without, without you know, getting enough of a cycle going or getting a mature filter in there to kick things off or whatever. So new tanks, cloudy water is regular and normal. And I would check ammonia and nitrite, but as long as those levels, well, as long as they don't read, as long as you don't get readings and you're getting nitrate, then you know the system cycled and just let it balance out. Now, why you're getting it is because um, if it's a new tank, you just don't have the ecosystem set up yet to, to process all the uh, energy sources that are available in the tank. So you get blooms of bacteria. That's probably what's causing the white cloudy water. 
that take advantage of those resources while the rest of the critters that create an ecosystem in an aquarium are getting established. Because the bacteria can explode in numbers a lot faster. But as the other things get established, it'll gradually balance out usually. Or if that's not the case, or in tandem with that case, it could be that, that there's too much food going in, that somehow there's too many nutrients available that are not being taken up by other species, by fish or uh, shrimp or snails or all the little critters that, that grow in a tank. So often that's a new tank. Sometimes that can be an established tank that's been going great for years, but then something went out of whack. Um, don't know what it could be. There's a million different things, but more nutrients available than desirable critters to eat it. Um, YouTube wants me to insert ads. No. If it's green water, it's the same kind of thing. There's available nutrients and a light source. And then you can get a boom of the green free-floating or free how would you call it? Free-floating algae, I guess, throughout the water column. So in either case, too many nutrients is the issue. Um, with green water, you have light causing the issue as well. So keep that in mind. Anything you can do to figure out what that balance is, maybe feed less or maybe feed less often. Um, I'm assuming that you have a decent filter on it and all that stuff. But So those are my thoughts about that. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if any of that rambling helped, and I would ask the community, the hive mind here, um, if you have any other thoughts to add, if you would put them in the chat and direct them to at Ryan Hoke, then uh, maybe we can help Ryan out even more. Jeff's Aquatics, hey Dan, any chance of getting orange lemon tetras? I wish. Um, the breeder I sourced those from has been out for quite a while. But the moment they're available, I'll bring a few hundred back in. I love that fish. It's gorgeous. It's hard to get. It's not too expensive. And a lot of people want it. So, you know, why wouldn't I get it? But unfortunately, Jeff, I don't know when they'll be available again. But I can promise you that when they are, I'll definitely order a bunch. In fact, I'm going to put a note here. I'm going to reach out to my breeder and just ask. Because I'm thinking of doing another order of some other fish. Um, orange lemon tetra. Just a second. Writing a note. If I don't write it down, it won't happen. Uh, sometimes when I do write it down, it doesn't happen either, but this is better. <laughs> Mountaintop Puffer Keeper, good to hear from you, my friend. I need to wet my whistle. Whistle being wetted. Cheers, everybody. Okay. Puffer soon adding an acrylic 45 breeder, the dimensions, with three removable dividers, nice, to Puffer Mountain. Any tips on photographing fish? I'm attempting HD pics for possible magazine article. Okay. I have a tip for photographing fish, but it's not a good one because I'm a horrible fish photographer. I, I don't know much about them. Um, well, I guess I have two tips. My first tip, the most helpful one, is probably follow uh, Jimmy Gimbal. I think is what Jimmy's going by these days. It used to be Swisky. Um, I think it's Jimmy Gimbal. Jimmy, if you don't know, is the uh, gentleman that takes the photos and makes the videos for Aquarium Co-op. And when I was trying to figure out how to take fish photos 
as I was trying to get into it, uh, his channel was very helpful. So I suggest checking out his videos on the topic. Um, he knows a lot more than I do. But he suggested one thing that really helped me. He suggested to buy a um, Sony a7 III camera. It's a very expensive camera, but I did. And with it, I'm able to take some decent pictures. And the reason is, because I'm a bad photographer, but um, there's just a couple things to keep in mind. One is, what's your shutter speed? And I like a shutter speed on a fish that's moving of uh, like a, a, a swimmer of at least around 100 with a puffer where they kind of can sit and be still for a bit, you might be able to lower the shutter speed a little bit. So figure out, play with the shutter speed, figure out how fast you need it to be. Um, so I usually set the shutter speed at around 100. I have a lot of light on the tank. I'll take like a, a Fluval 2.0 and put it directly down on the tank so I have plenty of light. Now the bad thing about that is often when you put the light on, the fish freak out if they're not used to that much light. So you just made a big change, right? So the fish is pretty, like if, let's say it's a rainbow fish. I'm always trying to get pictures of rainbow fish and failing because they're all colored up and looking beautiful. I'm like, yes, I'll run over, I'll put the light on and get my camera ready. And that, that new light just freaks them out and they color down and now the opportunity's lost. So often I have to put the light on, leave it on for a few days till they get used to it and then they'll start coloring up again. But anyway, a lot of light, about a, a shutter speed of around 100 and a depth of field, how, how deep the camera picks up of, uh, I know, I, I start around 10 and see how you feel from there. And then I, it's, you play with the focus. So maybe you have a zone so if the fish isn't perfectly in the right spot, you can still get a picture of it. Or if the fish is nice and still like a puffer, you get a zone or you get a, a more focused center point and then you can focus right in on the eyeball or something and take a nice clear shot. But if you get that camera, even someone like me can take decent pictures with that camera. The other thing I would suggest, and maybe Random Arms can find it, is um, there's a great video series that we found on YouTube when we were first learning about how to use a camera that demystified everything. I found out there's only a couple things you need to know. How quick is your shutter speed, how much is your light, and how deep of a photo do you want to take. If your photo is a lot deeper, you need more light because there's more to pick up. If your shutter speed is really fast, you need more light because the camera only has a second, you know, a tiny amount of time to pick up the picture and capture enough light in that, that nanosecond that the shutter clicks. So if you play with how quickly the shutter drops, how much light you have on the tank, and how deep things in the photo are clear, or in focus, you're good. Just focus on those three things and, and ignore the rest. So I don't know if that's helpful. If Random Arms can list that, uh, that uh, series of videos, that tutorial that we found, that would be awesome. But Man, it's been a long time, so I don't know how easy it's going to be to find. Brian Lenowix. Oh, Random Arms listed it. Awesome. Thank you, Random Arms. Um, was gifted a membership. Thank you so much, Kelly. Or was that Kelly? Hang on. Oh, it jumped on me. Who did that? Whoever did that, thank you so much. Um, looks like Tamara and Brandon and several folks have been gifted 
memberships. I'm sure I'm missing some, sorry, um, but but please know that I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone that's gifting memberships to everybody. That's awesome. So we have 286 viewers here. Thanks for being here, everybody. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to share this out, let's see if we can get it up to 300. That would be awesome. Bunny Viper archers are amazing. I love my small scale, and I'm so looking forward to the clouded's. What size? About five inches? Yeah. Um, I've read that they can get up to eight inches. I've had mine for years, as you know, in that big 125-gallon tank. It got a 30 to 40% water change every night, so it had nice, clean water. And uh, they still only got to about five inches. So I'm going to say five to six inches would be probably full-grown. I don't think I've seen them get bigger than about five inches. Maybe a tiny bit over. Mike Stambaugh. Mike, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Have you ever had Nasuta Tiger Featherfin Cichlids? If so, are they slow, slow growers? I have not had that fish. Let's look up what that fish is. Is this one of those uh, Tanganyikans where the male has really long ventral fins and builds a big nest or something like that? That's what it seems like to me from the name. Yeah, it is one of those. Okay, yeah. These are awesome. So I've never kept these. I do have several friends that keep them and breed them, but I have no idea how quickly they grow. So has anyone here kept uh, these, these types of fish? And if so, what was your experience with growth rate? Let's see if we can help Mike out, even though I am ignorant on that front. Kato and chat jumped. I'm trying, Kato. I'm trying. Oh, no. Shoot, it jumped big time. Kato, I might not be able to see your question or comment. Let's see here. Nope, sorry, it cut off. I'll try again if you relist it. Sorry. Bunny Viper, my six-barred panchecks are breeding like mad. I think I figured them out. I'm about to move them to a bigger tank and set them up. That is awesome. I would love to buy a big group from you if you end up getting a bunch. I would love to. I, I love that fish. Patrick's Aquatics. I got a group of Altum Angels. After two days, many of their fins looked like they were burnt off and clamped. I lost half of them in two days. Dose Copper suggestions. So I have avoided Altum Angels for that reason. Um, I, I know that they can be difficult. But I talked to a, a, a gentleman uh, when I was out in Portland who imports lots of Altum Angels, breeds lots of Altum Angels. I, I toured his fish room and he just has tanks full of Altum Angels breeders, fry, all stages of grow out. And um, the way he was successful was number one, he's found a good exporter that doesn't overpack the backs, right? Gives the fish plenty of room in the backs. That was number one. And number two, he keeps the temperature high. I think he was around, was it 84 degrees? I can't remember for sure, but high temperature. Um, his water is great. It's nice and soft. He, he takes care of his parameters really carefully. And then he uses per, potassium permanganate um, with his altums to help prevent any parasites or anything um, that, that could damage them externally. So I don't have any experience with them. That's what I picked up talking to an expert. But you're getting a second hand. I could have got something wrong. You know, there's all that stuff. I just don't know much about them. 
I love Altums. Um, but I've avoided them because I don't think I have the right setup for them. So I've never brought them in. I wish, Patrick, I had more information for you. If someone in the chat has had an experience like Patrick and, and knows how to help, please, uh, please chime in. And I don't think, if I didn't say it before, Patrick, I'm so sorry. I know, uh, I know Altums are something you've probably been wanting for years or whatever and finally got some. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that it was a bad experience. And they're not cheap, I know that. You know, they're pricey fish. Ryan Hoke, Dan's fish. I'm having a hard time finding food my sunfish will eat. I tried fluval bug bites, other cichlid food from Hikari. They even stopped eating bloodworms. <coughs> okay. Stopped eating, meaning they were eating. Um, are they doing that thing? So sometimes sunfish are out and about, usually, often, are out and about and king of the world and not shy at all. But I have seen instances where they're very timid and they cower and they, they go hide and they only come out for food and often won't come out and eat until you leave. I've had sunfish, orange spotted sunfish, a group that did that. So if that's not the case, if they're out and about and they used to eat and they were acting normal and weren't scared and timid and then they suddenly stopped eating then obviously something changed um, I don't know if a parameter in your tank changed the first thing I would always check is ammonia anytime I see something of concern ammonia is the first thing and if there's no ammonia maybe nitrite if there's none of that is your nitrate way out of whack if none of the nitrogenous waste issues are a problem um, then and temperature's the same, and the water source is the same, and your municipality didn't just spike the system with chemicals to flush their water lines or whatever, then I would suspect a disease. And uh, I'm not a veterinarian, not qualified at all to tell you what to do, but if it was my fish, I can tell you what I would do. If it was my fish, I would start probably with the treatment of, uh, if they stopped eating and I couldn't see anything wrong, I'd assume an internal parasite and I'd probably start with like flubendazole. That's probably where I would start. Yeah. So I don't know if that's helpful, but those are my thoughts. Samir Mohanty, or is the H silent? Mohanty? I'm going to go with Haunty. Samir Mohanty, thank you so much for the super chat. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, uh, hey, we're at 296. We're almost at 300 people in the chat or in the, the stream. That's awesome. Thanks for being here, folks. Samir, I am struggling to make my Adolphid quarries eat any food. I have a planted tank with CO2. They've been active, but I don't see them eating. Uh, Samir, are they new? Are they a new fish to you? I have to say, Adolfoi and Duplicaris in the industry are very difficult. I think the best success would be from getting them from like a hobbyist breeder. I don't know what it is about the industry, but I have a hard time finding healthy Adolfoi and uh, Duplicaris that will eat for me as well. Or when I do get them eating, often I'll get them eating, but they don't seem to gain weight and I'll lose a couple. And then a few days later, I'll lose another one. And a few days later, and it goes like that literally for months. So they're not a fish. If I get them in and they have trouble from the get-go and I can't correct it within a you know, a week or so, it's not just, it, it's not just like, oh, they're stressed from shipping, but 
their stress from shipping and there's something that was inside them that the stress unlocked some kind of pathogen that took hold I've had a real hard time um, figuring out what to do and I've tried everything I've tried uh, all the standard medications that you can think of and I've had veterinarians involved aquatic veterinarians and I still can't figure it out so I'm not saying that to discourage you I'm just saying that's been my experience. I hope it's not your experience, but uh, and I've tried I've tried them from several different suppliers as well. Every now and then I'll try I'll try one and I'll be like, hey, this batch is doing okay, and I'll try another batch from them, and it's like, oh no, nope. second batch didn't do well. So I'm still struggling to find the right answer for that myself. Um, if anyone here has experience with Adolfoi Coris or Duplicaris as well, they're very similar, and and can help Samir, would you please chime in? I feel like I'm. <laughs> my batting average for being helpful on questions is not very high tonight. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> Ethan Foster. Hey, Ethan. I hope you're doing well. I hope your kid's doing well as well. Best spawning mops for rainbows and such, like stuff that lasts and that look professional, clean. Can't wait to send you a ton of babies. I can't wait either. Um, if one of the moderators could go on my channel and link. The video which is like what's it called making spawning mops like a boss or something like that um, I could show you exactly what I do I would use acrylic yarn I like a nice deep like hunter green and that's that's what I do don't boil it because then the yarn will like curl up and get tangled all the time and uh, I wouldn't use any like real strong bleach on it or anything for the same reasons I just buy it from the store make the mop run it underwater to kind of get it waterlogged and put it right in the tank. Now, saying that, this will be the one time where the yarn, for some reason, has some chemical on it to kill all the fish, right? That's always a risk. If you're concerned about that, then what I would do is probably take that mop once it's made, put it in a container of water, and then change the water daily so any chemicals leach out, and do that for a couple weeks before you put it in your tank, because that way you could leach out any possible chemicals without having to boil it or do anything like that but uh in all the years i've been doing this i've never had a problem making a mop with acrylic yarn straight from walmart or whatever and dropping it right in the tank so but i guess it could happen i like them nice and thick if they're too thin then the fish can get to all the eggs and eat them if they're nice and thick then enough eggs get deep enough in the mop that the fish won't find most of them and you'll get a good yield. So those are my thoughts. But I, I think the video would be helpful. Brian Manuski? Nope, that's wrong. Lanowicz. Lanowicz, that's what I'm going with. Sorry, Brian. Brian Lanowicz, oh, sorry I butchered your, your name. Johnny mentioned last night on Bentley Pasco live stream that you might be getting some new pelvic acroma species coming sometime in the near future. Is there a wish list I could sign up for? Not for these because they're species we've never had before. What I'm trying to do is the pelvic acromus super red, which is your, your normal pelvic acromus pulture, but it's been um, bred for years to enhance the red, and they have a lot of red on them. They're really, really pretty. So that's the fish. We're also trying to source some other pelvic acromus and nanochromus and things. Still trying to find stuff from West Africa. 
have made some progress on that um, and hope to uh, be able to have something happen soon. It's, it's rough though, uh, like in the Demo Democratic Republic of the Congo, I'm, I'm talking to suppliers, they don't know when they'll be able to ship the fish, they don't know what the cargo rates will be, They're like nothing's certain in that area of the world right now. Um, I don't know if it's still residual stuff from COVID or just uh, civil unrest or, or government issues or what, but nothing is certain right now. So we're trying our best. Uh, we know some, some folks there and uh, we're trying to make it happen. But the public of Chrome is super red. Uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to have fairly shortly. We, we have a source for that. Mikey M, if possible, and if I win, please, please re-give my giveaway to Alex, the secret history. All right. Recently lost his sweet kitty. Oh, I saw that, Bodhi. So he could use a new friend. Hey, thanks, Mike. That's that's very generous of you. And I, yeah, I, we can make that happen. I've hung out with Alex before. Brian Lenowicz. I think I got it. Oh, to Johnny. Thank you. <laughs> It's 8.22. We have 297 folks watching. Thanks for being here, folks. I think I'm going to go ahead and do this giveaway. So we're going to give away one of these beauties. A purple sailfin gudgeon, also called, scientifically, Microphysogobius tanfingensis. Tanfingensis, I think. I'm loving them. I think they're... Uh, I don't know... I wish they were more available because I think they would take the hobby by storm. I think that they would be uh, like as popular as Pandagara. They're, they're so cool. But, oh, I didn't mention this. Um, the article in Amazonas talks about difficulty sourcing them. So it doesn't appear that this is a fish that's going to be common ever in the hobby. A couple reasons. Um, well, the main reason, I guess, is where they're at, they're very difficult to collect. The water level is constantly changing, and you can go up there to collect, and it could be too high. It's, it's really fast-flowing, so if the water's high, um, you can't get the fish. And so where they're at, it seems to rain a lot, and that water level is never predictable, and it's not on a beaten path. You have to go up to the headwaters to get these things. So um, I, I don't know if they'll ever be commonly available, but if they are, they're going to be amazing. Everyone's going to love them. Anyway. This is the fish that we're giving away. We're gonna do the drawing right now, and the winner is Thornton Casey. Thornton Casey, you have won. Congratulations. Oh, and thanks for being a member since July. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Cheers. Or a member, a subscriber, I mean. <laughs> That's good too. <laughs> uh, Thornton, you have two minutes. Oh, you already did it. Thornton won, great. You're the official winner now that you chimed in. If you would send an email to hello at dancefish.com, that's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com, with your first name, your last name, and your mailing address, then we can get this uh, all sorted and figure out when to ship the fish to you. So that's the last thing you have to do to claim your winnings. Congratulations. I think you got an awesome fish. I think you're the luckiest person, you know, right now. <laughs> Congratulations, that's great. Okay. Legion Aquatics. I'm getting a full 55 gallon setup on Saturday from a guy 
from a guy marketplace. <laughs> they don't have a gal marketplace? <laughs> I'm sure that's a typo. What would you stock? Oh, Legion, so many things. There are Legion options. So you're going to have to narrow it down. Uh, if you can give me a list of like, here's a dozen fish I really like that I think might do well. Um, then I could tell you, hey, from that list, here's what I think. But there are literally tens of thousands of different kinds of fish that could go in that. And, and that's not an exaggeration. It's probably many more than that. So here's what I would suggest as a guideline. In general, I think the most fulfilling aquariums are ones that have only a few species, but in large numbers. So I would let that guide you. Um, now, you don't have to do that. Some people like, I want one of those, I want two of these, I want a couple of these. But a lot of fish that we keep in aquariums are small. Small fish are constantly at risk of getting eaten. Everything wants to eat them. So a lot of them have developed behaviors to cue off their, their own species, right? So they're, they're out there in a group, maybe not a tight skull, school, a skull, <laughs> head bone, school, but they're, they're around, they're in a shoal. There's one here and there's one a foot over there and one a few inches over there and one a couple feet down. And they can see each other, right? And they cue off each other to know that everything's okay. We can still stay out here and keep eating. When one of those fish dashes away, the rest do too, right? Danger, they, that's how they know that there's danger. Now they can do it off other species as well, but a lot of the fish we keep in aquariums do it off each other. And so if we don't keep a big group in the tank, they never, they never seem in my experience to settle in as well. And yeah, you can, you know, they'll live and they'll have some color and things, but I've seen the best color and the neatest behavior when I keep fewer species in large numbers in a tank. So that's how I would suggest we do it. Now, there's no hard and fast rules, right? You do you, take your experience, do what you think you want, give it a try, see how it works. But in general, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Ethan Foster, geez, Ethan, thank you so much for the generous super chat. Always appreciated, never required, but we are a little startup company and every penny counts right now. It's all appreciated. You hit my concern with mops right on. Nervous because of exotic pleco groups in every breeding tank. Do Melanotania marisai look as good in person as they do in pictures? Can't wait for them tomorrow. I, I think in general, Kalitawa and marisai and things like that look, look probably better in person than they do in pictures. Um, depends on, on how you keep them though. I keep them uh, on light colored sand. <laughs> Sorry. Mm throat was getting dry. I keep them on fairly light colored sand so they kind of wash out to kind of match that the substrate so I don't see them uh, as colored up all the time here although there are moments where one will just fire off and it's just we all like gather around the whole team gathers around and it's just like uh, wiping the drool off our faces right they're awesome um, but if you keep them in a like a, a tank with some hardscape maybe some plants or whatever and um, a dark substrate then you'll definitely see really nice colors. So, I did light colored sand is what we have available locally, so I, I used it. 
Okay, do we have time for one more? We, we might. Let's try one more here. New Mexico Aquatics. Little Bobby, it's great to see you, my friend. Are you familiar with Cardinal Lampi Ricefish, Aurisius Warwarae? Little Bobby. Yes, I am. I know it is the Daisy's Ricefish. There's a million names for this fish. <laughs> Aren't common names great? Uh, let's take a field trip for those that don't know this. Oops. Here we go. Aurisius warwarae, or warwarae. Now, when this thing came, was first, became available a few years, what, is it 15 years now? 10 years, something like that. It made quite a splash. Because before it, we were familiar with mostly like these. Cool fish, really bright lamp eye that's really pretty, especially in a big group. Females get the big egg clusters, which is cool. I'm not seeing a picture of it here, but I've seen it in person several times. Um, cool fish, but you'll notice a distinct lack of color. These came on the market, and it was like, what, a steel blue fish with nice orange-reddish coloration on the fins? That's an amazing looking rice fish. They took the world by storm. So I think they're awesome. In my experience, they're, they're quite hardy. They're easy to breed. Now, a lot of people think rice fish and think Japanese rice fish, which there's an amazing Japanese rice fish out there. They're, they're awesome. But J Japan gets cold. It snows, right? It gets cold. And so Japanese rice fish can take low temperatures and often are kept at low temperatures or overwinter outside in tubs and things like that. These are a tropical fish. It just, just please understand, folks, that not all rice fish are are uh, from temperate zones. A lot of them are from tropical areas. In fact, most of them are probably from tropical areas, including this one. So don't let the temperature get too low. Mid-70s, upper 70s, low 80s, somewhere like that would be just great. Uh, low 70s probably as well. But if they're kept at the right temperature, I found them just as hardy and easy as any other rice fish. I, I think they'll do well for you. Okay. Okay. We need to wrap it up because it's 8.31. We are over by a minute. So let me wrap it up here. I want to thank my moderators first and foremost just for being here and doing what they do. Really appreciate you guys. Um, I want to thank everyone that threw money at us, either in the form of Super Chats or memberships or gifting memberships or whatever. Thanks for the financial assistance. Um, I said it earlier, but the, it's true. We're a startup company that's scaling. This is the most delicate time in any business's life cycle. Um, there's a, a thousand ways you could die when you try to scale. And so every bit helps as we go through this, this process, getting to the next uh, phase of our company. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Everyone that chatted or commented or was active in the chat, thanks for doing that. Thanks for making it lively. And if anyone helped out, anyone that had a question that I couldn't answer, couldn't answer well, <laughs> thanks for chiming in and uh, helping that person. If you're lurking, well, all hail the Lurker Nation. Much respect. If you're watching on the replay, hello from the past. And if you are listening to the podcast, thanks for listening. And thanks again to Michael Mellier. Michael, I haven't, I, I've just noted you at the end for a long time, same verbiage. I want to take a minute now to like sincerely tell Michael, Michael, I really appreciate you making the podcast happen. So thanks for doing that. Um, that's it. We'll be back same bat time, same bat channel next week, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 Eastern. Until then, I sincerely hope you have a great week, and we'll drop a new video showing some cool fish tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody.
just waiting awkwardly to make sure I don't cut myself off here. I think we're good. 